0: Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to episode number 31 of What's Happening in Travel with My Buddy. Kushro. I think this is 32, by the way. Oh, this I is think. 32. Oh, really? So yeah, we I'm need... pretty sure it's 32. All right, so it's 32. Um... <laughs> So this is not an auspicious beginning uh, okay so it is 32 we, we, we're keeping it in we're keeping it in. it's episode 32 i don't know why i thought it was 31 oh oh we did 31 and then okay fine all right this is 32 so um welcome to episode 32 <laughs> uh the last time we were here um we got a we got too long and so because we got too long um we didn't quite get uh, everything we wanted to talk about, so we decided to do another. So that's why I'm confused. So the first thing we're going to talk, we're going to go to Australia and New Zealand, and then we're going to go to Europe, and then we're going to talk about aircraft. Um, so uh, we reported that Virgin Australia um, is doing some downsizing, um, going from all triple sevens to triple uh, sevens and seven hundred and thirty-seven to all seven hundred and thirty-seven, which is how they started. So what is the latest on this news?
1: So we mentioned this, I think about two weeks ago, when Mm -hmm. Virgin, the sale of Virgin Australia to Bain Capital, an investment firm, uh, was completed. And no surprise, Bain wants to strip the airline down to its basics, Um, and the first thing they did was get rid of uh, all long haul routes. So that meant the triple sevens and, I believe most, if not all, of the 330s are gone. Yeah, well, the
0: country's. Or will
1: be going. (laughs) So, of course, this affects the uh, JV with uh, Delta, the co chair with Delta for the Trans Pacific routing, but Mm -hmm. um, that's going to have to be on hold. But anyway, last week they announced that uh, of their 85 737s, they're only going to keep 56. So there's. a substantial number that are going to be uh, sent back to their lessors. Ultimately, they hope to um, stabilize on 75, 737, but that's gonna be a few years down the road. Mm, So this airline is going to shrink considerably and they're not going to be competing on price. They're going to be competing on quality. So let's see how
0: long that lasts. I know. I was just going to say, they're saying that now and as soon as things perk up again, as soon as Australia opens up, there's there's a pent-up demand right now for long haul, right? And so as soon as they open up again, they're going to be like, oh, uh, maybe we should fix the demand or something. So maybe maybe they maybe what they'll do is do charters. Maybe they'll have a charter outfit and just run a whole bunch of charters to the US because lots of people from here wants to go back to Australia. But Austria. it's
1: hard to do that without having the aircraft for it unless you go to
0: one of these like high fly in Portugal or something like that. Yeah. So are they returning? You said they were, they're returning the airplanes that they have now. Right. Oh, okay. right. Yeah, I think they have so, something in their back pocket though. Because quantitative- I'm sure they would. Point is obviously alone and Air New Zealand, cause you know, they can't, and uh, United and Delta and American, they all can't take enough people across the Pacific. That's why they, that's why they all were out there. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things develop. Yeah, that's but, interesting. Um, so. Is that, it's all you have on that one? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, one thing, uh, we didn't talk about our backgrounds. What do you have as your background today?
1: Oh, um, I have an Equatoriana DC-10, and I like this particular color scheme. In fact, we talked about this airline yesterday, mm-hmm. about it being re- resurrected. Not yesterday, last week. Saturday, yeah. <laughs> about it being resurrected. So, and I found this picture, and I liked it.
0: I uh, know, it is, it is a uh, cool airplane. Uh, the good old DC-10. Is anyone else still find the DC-10s commercially?
1: Um, I no, I'm not. Sh- I,
0: don't really think so. Because I, so I know Beeman Bangladesh was, but I don't think they're doing it. They,
1: no, they've had their
0: last flight. Yeah. Years <throat> and, and I don't have an airplane. I actually have Salamanca, which I visited okay. a few years ago uh, in northern Spain. Is it northern? Or in, somewhere near Madrid. And uh, it's an amazing... It's actually like a college town. And it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. If you guys ever get a chance to go. So um, this I think this was taken from one of the cathedrals because they have more than one. Mm. Uh, all right, so our next story is Air New Zealand, uh, who's a big 777 operator, because um, you know they need them to go from, the, from New Zealand to the US. Uh, what are they doing, and actually also to Europe, what are they doing? So again, in line with what Virgin Australia is doing,
1: they do not expect long haul travel to be back. In any significant way until at least a year from now, wow. which puts us into the northern fall, 2021. So they had 16, seven triple sevens, um, an equal mix of uh, 200 ERs and uh, 300 ERs. So they are all going to be put into storage. Well, no, I should qualify that most of them. Mm. are going to be all put into storage. And three of the 300 ERs are going to be kept at Auckland for whatever reason, I guess for uh, ad hoc purposes. Yeah. But the others are going to various sites in uh, North America, specifically Arizona and California, the so-called boneyard, aircraft boneyards. So um, they expect that... um, If they are needed, they can get all of their aircraft back into service within six to eight weeks, which is not too long of a period, but it's still fairly significant. But I would expect traffic to grow back gradually.
0: Yeah. So
1: they would have some indication that demand is picking up. So what about the 789s? No, they're going to keep those. Okay. They're going to keep those because those are the right-sized aircraft. Yeah. They're not too big. Um... And again, validates Boeing's premise for the seven eight
0: seven. So, uh, yeah, the whole thing is just so weird because they, they they do fly the triple sevens into here and also the seven eight seven. Yeah, um, yeah, so, scary, huh?
1: But yeah, this was from Airways Magazine.
0: Okay, very cool. Um, all right, so now we're gonna go. Let's fly across the Pacific or I guess maybe the, maybe the Pacific and the Atlantic, or maybe over Europe, and we're going to go to Europe. Actually, we're going to Finland. And we're going to talk about Finnair and SOS And SAS, um, they announced their-, so, their Yeah, I, no, I
1: thought this was interesting because very rarely do I see, uh, at least easily, articles about how these airlines that have, you know, it's recently expanded their schedules. How are they doing? Mm-hmm. um because europe is pretty much open so what happened what were the results like and uh, unfortunately they were not very encouraging at least for finair and sas mm. because um finair announced their traffic results and uh, the passengers were down 86% in
0: august that's insane that's year so over they, year i guess right yes yes everything is
1: month over month for uh, any year over year comparison, unless otherwise stated okay uh, they said they carried about one hundred and ninety three thousand passengers in August versus almost one point four million last year <laughs> so and um, but the one good thing is that they carried one hundred and thirty thousand in July, so the traffic was up month over month. Yeah. But August is really the peak travel month. So you would expect traffic to go up. But still, the numbers were disappointing, but the trend stayed the same. Uh, it went up is. month of a month. And this is all as they they reduced their flying. So the air ASKs went down 84%. Okay. So pretty much in line with their traffic. Um, and they operated on average about 116 flights a day in August, versus about 365 flights a day in 2019. Oh wow! So, and one of the most uh, disappointing regions, hardly unexpected, was Asia, where Finnair said. Now, remember, Finnair has built itself up as being a bridge between Europe and the Western. Hemisphere and Asia, mm-hmm. because of the extensive connections that are possible over Helsinki and the flights right. they fly. The flights to Asia, to and from Asia had only a 24% load factor, passenger load factor. Wow. But the one redeeming fact was that the cargo load factor was in the upper 90s,
0: Okay, so and that's the really high yield.
1: So yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure they had some profitability on those flights, even though the cabins yeah. Uh, passenger cabins were pretty much empty
0: and then they could take they could take more cargo because they're they're taking less people (laughs) yes
1: so interestingly for Europe their load factors were 53 percent and for domestic Finland it was 63 Mm -hmm. which is I mean not entirely surprising yeah but um, uh, still not as high as it has been in the past at least for summer load factors anyway right that's right, exactly. This is yeah. for the peak uh, uh,
0: period of travel, especially yeah. in Europe. Um, so, so you, you use an acronym. In aviation, there's a ton of acronyms. And, uh, and so whenever we use it, oh, the we we're going to try to explain it. Yes, so please explain to everyone what ASK is. And also explain to them the, the, um, the American side of that.
1: Yeah, so ASKs are available seat kilometers for the rest of the world. So it's the number of seats you have multiplied for sale, uh, multiplied by the distance flown in kilometers. So that's a standard airline metric to say how much capacity you have available for sale. And in the US, um, um, we have this, the equivalent, but instead of kilometers, we use miles. So it's the number of seats available for sale, multiplied by the miles flown. And so that's abbreviated as ASMs. And then the equivalent thing for passengers is RPKs, which is revenue passenger kilometers and revenue passenger miles, RPM. So it's number of passengers, revenue passengers multiplied by the number of kilometers or miles flown. And the RPKs or RPMs divided by the ASKs or ASMs is the load factor. So how fun are you
0: is essentially what a little uh, you: of So uh, I hope that that explanation explains all the cool stuff that we're, that we're talking about. I'm probably going to uh, put that in the show notes so people, people can, take, can take a look at that. So all you aviation students, see, you thought you wouldn't learn anything, right? Well, Professor Kusha is here for you.
1: <laughs> Most of your audience knows this already. I'm fairly sorry.
0: Uh, Yeah, but you know, well, they probably know ASMs, right? Um, Because it's it's mostly an American audience. And sometimes when people say ASK, it's like, huh? (laughs) So (laughs) So it's it's good to explain that to them. So thank you. Um,
1: So this was a fairly comprehensive uh, report from Finnair. SAS was a little more sketchy. They only said that their passengers were down 74% year over year in August and the capacity down 73%. So again, um, in line with what Finnair saw in terms of passengers and capacity. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and they had 12,000 more passengers in August than they did in July. Um, but again, they didn't give their numbers, their exact numbers. Gotcha.
0: So uh, do, do so, you know if any of these airlines receive government subsidies? No, they did not. Okay. No. Uh, interesting. So...
1: And uh, one more thing I wanted to add on the subject of uh, um, all these, uh, this spate of bad news is that Tiger Air Australia shut Mm -hmm. down. Uh, Remember this was owned by uh, the parent of Virgin Australia? Yeah. So they closed after 13 years. um, They started um, their first flight uh, from Melbourne to Gold Coast. So in a big yeah, it's yeah. A big yeah so I did want to mention that.
0: No. Yeah. I mean, and for those who don't, who aren't really following the news, um, Australia is basically shut down. Uh, they had, uh, they, they were doing good and then they had a bunch of spikes. And so yeah. uh, you can't it's even go, yeah, you can't even go from um, uh, city to city. Like you have to stay in your, uh, what do they call them? Uh, counties. Or something like no, that. no, like
1: New South Wales and Victoria and
0: all yeah. that. Yeah, the states. The states, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you must have to stay in your state.
1: States and
0: yeah, territories. It's, yeah, it's kind of what they have. You know, they have special permission to travel because they're trying. They're trying to, to get the um get the situation under under control, and so um all the airline, all the Australian airlines are hurting really really badly as a result because no one's moving, no one's traveling.
1: So, so but as a result, at least these. Uh, Finnair has halved its October capacity plans. Yeah. So they expected 200, to have 200 daily flights, and they've halved it to about 70 to 80.
0: I got you. So yeah, it's crazy. And so when, whenever you yep. see, like, you know, if you look on um, Flight Radar 24, you see all these planes flying, uh, and they're commercial planes. They're more than likely carrying cargo and not people. But the current yeah. people, it's really a small number of people. Because I see, like, uh, I keep it here in Houston. Um, British Airways is, is, is back in the business, flying to London. And as you said recently, or previously, there's a bunch of airlines flying, but they're flying a lot of cargo. Mm. Because people just aren't traveling. And as a matter of fact, this time of the year is when people don't travel because all the kids are back in school.
1: Cool. Oh, yeah. So this is a particularly low season of travel. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Um, At least in the northern hemisphere. Mm-hmm. So it is it, it's, it's kind of "quote unquote" ir- ironic that they there were no flights during the summer. Well, yeah, there were very few, very few flights, and now uh, they're trying to start again. When traditionally they would cut back because uh, there aren't people just aren't flying. Uh, just to give an idea how the industry works. Um, okay, so. Is that it on, on Finnair and yep. SAS? All right. Yes. All right. We're going to move across to Germany. And what's going on with Lufthansa? we got two stories on them.
1: Yeah. So I, I didn't really know this, but uh, Lufthansa had set up a um, COVID uh, testing clinic at the airport in the main terminal area. Mm-hmm. At Frankfurt. A few things that I'm... At Frankfurt, yes. Um... um what was I going to say? I yeah, that. a few things that weren't entirely clear, but I'll get to those. So uh, they set this up since the end of June, um, and the information they reported was through the end of August. And they said that they had tested, in that period, they had tested one about 150,000 passengers hmm. in and out of Frankfurt. Wow. Yeah, on, on all airlines. Well, spe- specifically Lufthansa, but all airlines yeah and they found 1% of the passengers to be positive in the last 6 weeks and they also mentioned that more than 90% 97% of the test results were transmitted electronically based on the passengers names and pnr's to the passengers in under 24 hours in august which i thought was particularly i mean Relevant for travelers because most certain countries, for instance, they specified yeah. China and Dubai require tests before you can enter uh, those look, those places mm-hmm. before your flight so i'm I, the the part that I wasn't clear about is that if you are flying to let's say China or Dubai from frankfurt twenty four hours before you get your results, does that mean passengers have to come into Frankfurt before they fly to get tested and then come back? On That's the day it, of departure, they weren't clear about that. And I wasn't sure how to interpret their information.
0: It, it sounds so, like, or, or maybe, they, maybe, they, um, maybe they gave the results quicker. I believe so, really, they didn't so, specify it. But so they did say 20, that, hours if you, that if you were registered in, a,
1: in advance, uh, you had to wait typically less than 20 minutes before being administered the test. Okay. And they did this for a lot of arriving passengers, specifically from Spain, US, Turkey, and Croatia. Mm. And they said 50,000 or a little bit more than that were tested before departure. That's what I wasn't sure about. Did you have to show up one day before departure to get tested?
0: I mean, if you're connecting. Because Frankfurt is a big connecting airport. Right. Um, Right. Yeah,
1: But you couldn't do it, I think, if you were connecting, though, right? Because Uh, 24 hours, there's no flight 24 hours long. So you almost have to come in beforehand.
0: Or I guess if you come in, you have to wait um, maybe they had little transit areas or something, you had to stay, I I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah. so they did say that they opened um, another test center in Hamburg recently. Mm-hmm. Um, they were originally in the June, July, August time frame, they were testing 4,500 um, passengers a day and now they have a capacity of 10,000 a day which is okay.
0: pretty remarkable, I think. That's the kind of stuff that we need. I'm glad that they're, that they're yeah. doing that and because, I mean, they also had uh, special
1: lanes for their premium passengers, the so business yeah. and first, yeah. and they're expecting this to continue all the way through October. And if they go beyond
0: that, is another issue. Yeah, I, I mean, which makes sense, right? Because we see that you you can actually have events. Um, yeah. You know, as long as you do the proper protocols to make the event happen. And not everyone um, has the virus, of course. So um, testing at the airport is really the thing. I-, I was hoping that the Caribbean would have something like that. But they're testing you on arrival when you've already flown. Yeah, And, and I know that they were trying to get tested in the U.S., but the U.S. airports and airlines are like, nope, we're not doing that.
1: So, and this was with, in partnership with a company called CentroGene, yeah, and reported in this Apex, um, the Daily Experience emails, yeah, no, that's so, a... But I thought it was it was a pretty interesting setup that they had, yeah. I, yeah. even though the whole testing thing is so fluid because you could be, you could have been infected, but you're not infectious, right. and you're not exhibiting symptoms and. But at least they're doing the best they can.
0: I know, exactly, exactly. I mean, and I guess if there was just some, um, did they mention how much it cost?
1: No, they did not. That was another thing. okay. But they did not mention how much it cost.
0: Yeah. So. Because you know, that's always a, that's always a factor. Absolutely right? it is. Um, because absolutely. It, we've seen the I price. I can't
1: imagine they would be doing this out of the goodness in their hearts.
0: That's a lot of expense um so yes it is a lot it's a lot of expense, and, and that's the thing about this is right there is no there is no world fund <laughs> yeah <laughs> that will keep us safe. because you, you almost think that you know all these nations it's like um yes you, yes it's going to cost you some amount of money but if but if people if people aren't if people don't feel safe they're not going to fly so yep. you're She's not going to make any money anyway. Um, so you've got to figure out how to come together as a country, as a world, and fight this thing. And I think everyone is just doing it individually at each different places. And hopefully other countries. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> you caught yourself. Uh, I know. It, it just bugs me that we can't all get together and figure this out. Um, all right. But there's more news on Lufthansa, right? Yes.
1: So this was hardly surprising, a little depressing, actually. And this was sort of an open secret uh, that wasn't really supposed to be public. But Airways again reported that uh, Bloomberg said that um, in the next few days, 10 days, actually, um, I think early next week, Lufthansa was finally going to pull the plug on their um, A3, the remaining A380s, the 7400s, and most of their 340 series aircraft. Wow. So, yeah.
0: um, They have
1: 760 planes, Lufthansa, which I thought was pretty amazing. uh, And they're going to retire 100 of them. Hmm. Of these 760, 364 are white bodies, and um, they have 32 747s, including the eight eyes and the 400s, 14 mm-hmm. 380s, and 34 340s. This is the 300 and the 600.
0: Uh, okay.
1: And then they've also got uh, 90 new white bodies on order, the 3350s eight sevens and 20 of those 77X aircraft on order okay. yet none of those have been in fact uh, affected but they're going to keep their 748s and later model 346s and the rest of them are all going to be probably retired okay. in or by 2023 they said that
0: makes sense
1: and they estimated that for a 350, for instance, you need about 220 employees, so per aircraft. So this loss, this retirement of aircraft is probably going to cost about 20,000 jobs. Wow. So um, whether there's some of them can be absorbed later into other positions, I don't know. But uh, with these new aircraft coming in, they will require people as well.
0: Yeah, they definitely But were.
1: again, I'm sorry to see this happen, but it was inevitable.
0: Yeah, it really was. So, you know what's interesting with all this though? It gives you a really good insight into how the airline business works. Cuz you never you never hear that, "Oh, okay, one airplane is equal to 200 employees," right? You just never Yeah. You just never hear that kind of stuff. So, it's interesting. No. It also depends on your productivity also though, right?
1: Yeah. Like countries in Asia have much more employees per aircraft and leaner companies or low-cost carriers
0: yeah they for
1: lufthansa it's about 200 in that in that range
0: because something you go to the gate and there's like 10 people in asia you're like really why are you all there (laughs) (laughs) it's quite interesting you don't see that kind of stuff here here you have that one gate agent and uh, that one (laughs) gate agent is doing everything (laughs) Uh, such a different um look at uh, labor. Uh, all right, so um, our next story is actually about an alliance and we're gonna talk about One World, but um, if people don't understand what an airline alliance is, it's there are three major ones. There's One World, Star Alliance, and Sky Team. And uh, the whole concept behind that is that, um, well, the original concept, <laughs> it's kind of straight is that you buy one ticket and you can fly on all the airlines within your alliance and they'll transfer your bags and do that. You'll be able to get upgrades and things like that across the board. Um, kind of happens. Yeah. Not really happening depending on where you go. So in the U S it's American who's in, in with one world and um, United is with um, star alliance and, uh, the, Delta. and the other one is it, uh, is Delta. Hold on one second. Hold on. All right. So now that you had a little history about uh, airline alliances, um, Khrushchev has a story about what's going on with One World.
1: There are three major alliances in the world. uh, Airline alliances, um, SkyTeam, One World, and Star. And One World, uh, which has, depend how you're looking at it, 13 or 14 members. Because uh, the reason I'm saying that is because Fiji is a connecting partner, Fiji Airways connecting partner, even though I think they're a full fledged airline, but they're considered a connecting partner to other mainline airlines, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, what they did uh, last week was the first of any airline allowance, alliance to announce that they are going to be net zero, net carbon, um, what is the word? net zero carbon emissions by 2050. What that means is that they're going to um, heavily, all 13 plus one um, carriers in one world are going to invest heavily in uh, sustainable aircraft fuel, um, more fuel efficient aircraft, and less use of single use plastics. Now I noticed that they didn't say elimination of single use plastics, um but they did specify that they didn't specify or give any mention of what they were going to do to offset you know their fuel emissions right but i'm sure more details will come out as uh you know the the as progress continues on this endeavor but i thought that was a particularly good thing for an airline alliance to do considering how airlines i think are given And um, they're given too much blame for carbon emissions, even though they account for a pretty small amount of worldwide emissions. It's just physical. IAG, which um, owns uh, Iberia and uh, British Airways and Vueling and soon to be Air Europa, they've taken the lead in doing Uh this. So. But I'm sure it's a matter of time before the other two start as well.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's so crazy, right? Uh, right. Yeah. Um,
1: a couple of things I just wanted to add that I'm not sure I spoke to you about. That'll okay. be quick. But um, speaking of people picking on airlines, um, a lot of customers, especially since March, have had their flights canceled or have canceled their itineraries. Right. And they've complained about airlines not refunding their money. Right. But instead, giving them vouchers for future travel. Mm-hmm. So this week, I read on the uh, Emirates website that they have processed more than 1.4 million refund requests since March of 2020. So this is 90% of the backlog. Uh, okay. And the the next 10% is uh, refund requests that have come through from travel agents and uh, the GDS systems. So they're working on that. I okay. thought it was pretty significant because most airlines have sort of hedged and tried to delay refunding tickets because
0: there's just no cash available. Yeah, because they want to so, keep the money. <laughs> yeah. So, because i mean yeah they they do the advance bookings and um and then they use that money to run the airline as they go as they go on and now yeah. they're not getting any advance bookings so they're depleting all the funds so they don't want to give it back to you when you get it cuz they so, don't have it
1: <laughs> and then um another thing they're just predicated on that that previous topic we talked about the one world alliance uh Mm -hmm. being at zero emissions by 2050 British Airways announced that their in-flight magazine I think it's called High Life Mm -hmm. will no longer be printed and put on board um, aircraft because those things are heavy they're thick and they're heavy Um, so now they're only going to be available in downloadable form and if someone wants a copy uh, they can contact BA and they will be emailed uh, Version oh, of
0: yeah. that, yeah, okay. I but that so.
1: could be one way they're cutting down on their emissions. But somehow I don't think it will have the same feel. Yeah, but We'll get used to it.
0: What are you going to read on a plane?
1: <laughs> well, still, I think it's interesting to see you know, the fleet types, their route
0: network, some of the stories, yeah, articles, and, and then but, yeah. Sometimes when I get on a plane, I'll read them because they have. Um, they have really good information in them uh, about yeah, they do. new cities and the CEO will do his little piece or her little piece in the, beginning, in the front. And so that gives you a good insight into the company. So, yeah. but yeah, those are the two topics I wanted to mention. Just very quickly. In- no, that's good. All right, cool. So now we're going to move to aircraft, right? We've got about six or seven stores on aircraft front. Are
1: you keeping track of time?
0: Uh, yeah, we're doing good. I think we're okay. about... We're at about an hour right now. No, <laughs> uh, We're probably just about at half an hour. There's, I mean, we only have six or seven topics. It shouldn't be too bad. Um, more 737 max news. What's going on there? The
1: uh, last sorry. week?
0: 737-8 news, or whatever That's they call exactly it. Not exactly dash. Whatever they call it I mean,
1: Dash 7, dash 8, dash 9, and dash 10. Yeah. So the European Aviation Safety Organization, the EASA as they call it, they mm-hmm. completed their flight tests. Are they happy? Um, well, they, they're meeting in London, um, Gatwick actually today. Um, uh, virtu- so virtually? That, no. Um, <laughs> you're, you're not letting me finish.
0: <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: EASA was the third um, aviation agency to test the 737-7. I don't know why they didn't include a dash 8 in the testing, but I guess they're identical in the cockpit. Yeah. Um, so they based it out of Vancouver for um, their tests because of the issues with COVID in the U.S. Um, and they did nine and a half hours of flights um, over three days um, with six takeoffs and landings, some very tight turns, and um, especially after takeoff, and a lot of uh, pitch testing, you know, to make sure that the aircraft was stable after takeoff and all that sort of thing. Um, as I said, EASA was the third agency after the U.S. FAA and Transport Canada. So, what they're going to do now apparently is sit down in London and uh, go over their results with uh safety agencies from around the world. Now, that's all they said. They didn't specify if this included China, because hmm. China is big, so Chinese airlines are a big purchaser of the 737 Max series aircraft. All right. This was in um this on this. Uh, This actually was reported on several websites, but I first saw it on the simple flying. But um, they expect still the aircraft to go into service either late fourth quarter 2020 or early first quarter 2021. Okay. So As I said, this meeting this week in London was to go ahead and plan how they were going to recertify this aircraft to allow it to go back into service. Okay.
0: Well, I hope they're, they're adhering to the um, the no more than six people meeting together quarantine uh, rules that they have in London now.
1: <laughs> in, yeah, that's right. That's right. It started today, right?
0: I think it did. Yeah. Yeah. And so somebody may have to stay home.
1: <laughs> or they're sufficiently separated.
0: Uh, yeah. Sure. So yeah,
1: so <laughs> I hope they give us an update because they didn't say how long this was going to last. Yeah. But um
0: Well good at least you know each of the countries are doing their thing. And then um I guess the Canadians they haven't said anything bad, so that's good news. They're all going to discuss it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, in London. I hope they don't take too long. Um to do that. So yeah, but I hope they do it right. Exactly, exactly. So um but all right. So yeah. So hopefully we'll see them back in the air next year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right in time for everybody flying again anyway. Um, and another Boeing story. Um, are they having issues with the 787 again? This is the fourth one. Yeah. In just a few months. So
1: again, we talked about this, I think, two weeks ago, where there was an issue with gaps between um, the, the rear fuselage and the tail section. 787, and during uh, the process of man, this is a revolutionary aircraft. I mean, we all knew that. Right. And during the production, these carbon fiber sections are joined, and inevitably there are microscopic gaps when these sections are joined. So they fill this in with these agents called shims, that are either liquid or solid to its essence seal the gaps. Right. So that was the first issue they found, that the rear sections of some, of eight, seven, eight, sevens, tens, were not filled in properly. Then a little bit by, a little later, they discovered that the inner surface of these uh, sections uh, was not smooth enough. So it could contribute to some stain, uh, okay. strain rather. Oops. So, but that was fixed. Um, and then about two weeks ago, they discovered that in Salt Lake City in Utah in the US, where the horizontal stabilizer of this aircraft is manufactured, and those are the two horizontal sections um, under the tail of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. The joints in those uh, sections of the plane were held together too firmly, apparently. which caused a lot of pressure. And again, same thing. The gaps were a little too large for Boeing's liking. Uh, Now, remember, they said that uh, they had, their tolerances were one five thousandth of an inch. So that is... 0.0002 inches. Anything more than that is unacceptable. And for centimeters, it's 0.0005 centimeters. So these are not visible. Yeah. But um, so they they said that about two thirds of the current 787 flying fleet is affected with that, but it's not really urgent. Because although the strengths are really not compromised, it's outside of Boeing's maximum uh, tolerances. Uh, so they're great. going to fix them. They haven't specified how.
0: Okay. Well,
1: just last week, they found that now the vertical stabilizer is affected, and the same thing is at fault. So when they join the vertical tail to the fuselage of the plane, um, The gaps were not sealed properly again. So this again stems back to a quality control issue with Boeing. Mm -hmm. But they discovered this late in 2019. Again, not a serious issue, but it's something that has to be inspected at routine inspection times. But they fixed it in subsequent manufacturing. And the only way they found it is because one particularly eagle-eyed mechanic discovered a slight dent where the tail is joined to the horizontal section of the aircraft. So, um, Oops. that's the fourth issue that yeah. this beleaguered plane has had. But again, remember, this is not... I mean, yeah, we could be hard on Boeing and criticize them. This is an absolutely brand new way of doing things and something this well,
0: complex... Yeah
1: is bound to have issues especially the first time around
0: and it's good that they're there they have things in place to find them that's exactly right including mechanics that it. know what they're doing
1: <laughs> and
0: fix it yeah yeah so that's but this
1: unfortunately brought more attention to south carolina where a lot of these problems were occurring uh because remember qatar Airways refused to accept any planes that were manufactured in South Carolina. Uh, in the past, I don't know if they've relented, but um, these latest issues were in Seattle and, as I said, Salt Lake City. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Nothing yeah. really dangerous, but something well, uh, that Boeing yeah. is going to take care of.
0: Yeah, not that they need more scrutiny. Uh, that's what, exactly. Yeah. Right,
1: but it's Negative good that press
0: seven eight seven. It's good that they're actually coming forward and say, hey, we found this and we're looking at it rather than yep. rather than somebody goes, oh. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's good. Um, all righty. So uh, swinging over to Airbus for a little bit, um, uh, what's going on with, uh, we spoke about that new Taiwanese airline, right? And uh, what are they doing with the Airbus
1: A330? So they started in... February this year,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. January, February, and they could operate only, I think, for three weeks, two weeks, three weeks before they had to shut down because of COVID. And they had um, a lot of planes on order, specifically the Airbus 350. Right. And since Airbus has cut back on production of the plane, um, their position in uh, uh, in delivery has slipped. So what Airbus did um, instead is offer them the 330-900. Now remember, this is um, an alternative wide body to the 350, slightly less range, uh, but it hasn't entirely been a commercial success. The orders have sort of lagged. Yeah. So Starlux is um, going to lease eight of them until their 350s are manufactured. So it sort of gives it um, a little bit of uh, validation that a new airline is willing to stake its reputation on this plane.
0: Yeah, that's right. But
1: they may not have had a choice. But on the other hand, um, Rwandair, which is this airline, up-and-coming airline in Rwanda, in Africa, Mm -hmm. in which uh, Qatar has a stake, they canceled their two 339s is the 330 900 Neos on order? Not a huge order, but um, Evers needs all the orders they can get for this plane, yeah, especially
0: this time but of
1: the year. One thing I found very interesting that I wanted to mention here is that Starlux, which is again is one of these um, new airlines in Taiwan after 30 years, it was created by a disgruntled, disgruntled former EVA Air um, employee. This guy was uh, thrown out of Eva Air by his stepbrothers after their father died. He apparently did <laughs> Eva. Yeah. And uh, this, he formed this airline out of, uh, what do they call it? They didn't exactly call it revenge, but they called it, um, ah, I forget the word. But he he wanted to basically get even with his stepbrothers. Yeah. And this is an airline focusing on luxury. They currently fly to three destinations. Uh, There's Macau in China. There's Da Nang in Vietnam and Penang in Malaysia. But they intend to fly to the US as well. Okay. That'd be interesting. So, yeah. I just thought that was a little bit interesting to mention. Yeah. So... All right, cool. Actually, they said Starbucks was born out of retaliation. That was the word they used
0: Starbucks? against
1: his Starbucks. Sorry, star. Did I say Starbucks?
0: Yeah, you did. You, oh. you, do you want? Do you need some coffee, Kishan? Starbucks. Starbucks.
1: Okay, thought was what you two. Was born out of re- retaliation.
0: Yeah, it, so. the background stories of all these airlines are interesting because, like, it's like the JetBlue guy. Uh, they kicked him out of JetBlue, and he went. To, uh, he went Nihleman. That they kicked him out, and he went to South America and formed yeah. a new airline. And now he's coming back to the U.S. and forming a, another new airline called Breeze. So, or and in between, he bought DAP Yeah, in Portugal. You know, so all these stories are quite interesting. Oh, so you you're kicking me out? Okay, then I'm going to go for <laughs> something that competes directly against you because you know what? I know what's going on with you. Yep. Oh, that's too funny. Um, you know at, at least it's a, it's a slightly different news it's not bad news so that's good yeah um all right oh the next news is kind of a bad news though <laughs> which also, is
1: which one
0: what's going on with my favorite airplane airbus was well, not my favorite well i guess it is my favorite uh the airbus a220 it's not my favorite the 787 is actually my favorite airplane but on the, uh, on the Boeing side, on the Airbus side anyway, uh, what's going on with the A220? So
1: this was the um, uh, the Bombardier, the CS100 and 300, mm-hmm. that was brought over by Airbus. And what they discovered was that uh, there was this one aircraft that was parked outside in the rain they didn't really specify which airline or where it was with the door open. So Rain entered the aircraft near the the passenger entry door and apparently seeped in through the the surface and uh, shorted out the avionics bay that was under the door. And what they discovered is that on taxi for departure, one of the engines shut down. Uh, and they discovered that this was due to rain um, after a long investigation. And so uh, Bombardier slash Airbus have designed this plate and a whole series of panelings and blocking off of channels, tubular channels, to stop any rain from uh, accumulating to the floor of the aircraft near the entry door. That was one weird problem. Now I'm surprised that this would not have been fixed at design, but again, it's very easy for me to criticize here from home. Uh, well, it's also- they, would, they would have an avionics bed directly under the entry door, but maybe all aircraft have this. I do not know.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff but- under there. When I, took, when I walked into the A380, the whole avionic stuff is yeah. right underneath that that doorway, but but I, I would think that those things are sealed, huh? Go ahead. What did you say? All that's supposed to be sealed, though, right? Apparently I mean, so. Yeah, uh, because of course you're gonna open the door when it's raining. I mean, there, there'll be snow. There'll be all kinds of stuff going on. Um, that that. But apparently,
1: super- it's not a major fix. But it still, it needs to be done.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you can't have you know yeah. the engine shutting down later.
1: But there's more. Okay. What? what so now? this is another weird thing. It's with these engines, the CF34s on uh-huh. the. T- so this was this happened in September 2019. So what they discovered that um, they had four incidences of these um, A220s, three Swiss and one Air Baltic. That were having in-flight shutdowns of engines. And what they discovered, and this again was really unique, that all these aircraft that had these issues had recently engines, new engines installed on the plane. So these were not uh, manufacturer-supplied engines. These were replacement engines that were put on. Um, And they said they were this all these issues happened within 300 hours of installation. Hmm. Now they do not suspect any improper installation, but they suspect that the software and what they called it was full authority, digital en- engine control software. I looked that up, but I really couldn't find a good definition for it. So what uh, Bombardier slash Airbus has done is updated the software. So okay. now all um, Airbus 220 operators are now required to install
0: the software. Including Delta, right? Including Delta, yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, so that acronym means it's FADES. And, like, why would you call something FADES on an airplane? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's
1: about it. <laughs> This is a very popular aircraft. It is. And it's, it's I believe aircraft thing. is looking at all sorts of variants of it. Yeah. So. It, it's a beautiful thing. Have I you seen one yet? No, I have not. Oh, uh, dude, really? And this was, by the way, from a site called fliegerfaust.com. I hope uh, I'm pronouncing that properly. And nice. also from Simple Flying.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So um, I Air Baltic. Um they don't have the toilets with the window
1: okay that's an option apparently
0: yeah uh but the delta one had the toilet with the window and it's a beautiful thing it's the second plane i've ever been on uh that has a window because ana 787 has a window in the toilet yeah and there's nothing like you know being in the toilet when you're flying by mcg Mount- <laughs> Mount- uh which is actually a cool thing so um yeah i i I guess probably it's probably on the Delta I know from the 220 side, I think, that has the uh, it's the, the, the toilet seat. It's at my office in the air. Uh, matter of fact, I have a photo. About a year ago, I had flown the 220, and I flew it back earlier this year. Um, Houston, OK. Because uh, they fly them into Salt Lake from the West Coast, and they also fly fly them uh, from Salt Lake back to Houston. And from Houston to uh, JFK and Houston. They did, they used to do Houston to LaGuardia and Dallas to LaGuardia.
1: And um, actually, I didn't want to, on this A220 issues, uh, I did want to say that these uh, were specified by Transport Canada and the FAA. Uh, so okay. These are required for any 220s entering Canadian and or U.S. airspace. Okay. And you're so far I haven't market. heard anything
0: about EASA. Yeah. But I'm sure that will be upcoming anytime. Yeah. And it makes sense that once they find something, everybody will just right. it. Right. Because most of the operators are in Europe. Yeah, because of- yeah, it's only Delta near Canada on this side of the fence. Right. Alright, cool. So,
1: And um, soon to breeze. Next year.
0: Oh, yeah. Like we need another airline in the US, but anyway. Um, no. <laughs> uh, so, next story is that Airbus and Boeing are always competing. And uh, apparently, one of them reached a milestone faster than the oh, other yes. one. What's going on there?
1: So, this was the 10,000th Airbus 320 series. Remember that there are the 318, the 319, the 20, and the 21. Right all similar in every way except for um, the length and their passenger capacity. Yeah. So This was a 321 NEO. Remember this is the the Airbus now has the CO, CO, which is the current engine option and the new engine option, the NEO, which is also incorporate all sorts of structural and efficiency improvements apart from the new engine, more fuel efficient engines. Mm -hmm. This was an A321neo for Middle East Airlines out of Lebanon. And uh, the the first Airbus 320 flew in 1988. And this delivery of the the 10,000th aircraft took 32 years. So I was curious to see how long did Boeing's 737 take? And that started out in 1967. And the 10,000th... 737 8 was supplied to um, Southwest Airlines in the US in 2018. So that ah. took 21 years. So, but I'm not sure it's directly comparable to the popularity of the 320 because air transport has really exploded
0: yeah.
1: in popularity in recent uh, decades. That's but I just cool. thought it was an interesting.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah. Because because the two of them are always like, you know, at each other's throats. So um, that's good to see that.
1: This was again in Airways Magazine.
0: Yeah, cool. Um, So we have one more story, um, which is about Royal Air Maroc. And um, what's going on with that? I, I, I didn't think they were still flying a 763, but I guess they are.
1: They were flying them last year. Now, this was in the Daily Mail out of the UK. Okay. Um, but it was also reported on other papers as well. So I was a little skeptical about the Daily Mail and their uh, <laughs> coverage. But uh, when I saw it in a different uh, uh, article, I mean, it sort of landed credence that they weren't over-dramatizing
0: this. Okay, good,
1: good. But there are two incidences. Um, all of them last year. And in the UK, they have this Air Accident Investigation Board, which I'm sure probably every country has. Mm -hmm,
0: They They
1: were looking into this incident in, um, when was this? This was in February 2020, when a Royal Air Maroc 767-300 was taking off from London, Gatwick, um, on its way to Casablanca in Morocco Mm -hmm. with 217 people on board. What happened is that the aircraft did not take off when it was supposed to. In fact, it lifted its nose barely 100 meters before the end of the runway. Turns out that there were two obvious causes One is that pilots forgot to enter their uh, takeoff criteria into the flight computer before uh, takeoff, or they accidentally deleted it after they entered the information. So what they found um, was that the alarm in the cockpit that typically goes off when the aircraft nose has to be lifted off, did not go off. At the required 175 miles per hour. Um, and that's when they started getting a little suspicious. And at 217 miles an hour, they decided something was wrong and they raised the nose of the company, raised the nose of the aircraft.
0: Were they not paying attention?
1: Uh, well, not too many details were provided. So the, they said it need, the aircraft took off 13 seconds after it should have. So the nose lifted up from the ground 13 seconds after it should have, mm. which is a really, really long
0: time. That's a long time.
1: And the aircraft was one second away from overrunning the runway. So I actually have to correct myself. There were 139 passengers and six crew on this aircraft, not Uh, 17. So um, that was the first incident that happened in February. And this follows, so this was reported in September. And then in August, the same air accident investigation board discovered that an EasyJet 320 from Lisbon, to Manchester in the UK entered their coordinates for takeoff incorrectly. Oh, wow. They s- typed in the wrong taxiway from which they were to start their takeoff roll. So, um, from an, instead of s- entering a one, they entered a four. And uh, the aircraft computer thought that, they had an extra 1,400 feet of runway. So it slowed the ex- initial acceleration of the plane.
0: Oh, ouch. Yes. Yeah. So
1: again, this aircraft was lifted off the ground manually, 100, about a hundred meters from the end of the runway at Lisbon.
0: At least they were And in attention. both
1: cases, they found that there was no mechanical issue. Everything right. was functioning fine, so it was pilot error. Wow. But I just um, thought it was interesting to mention.
0: Oh, yeah. As you were talking, um, I, I looked at, you ever heard of the ASRS? No. Okay, so the ASRS is the Aviation Safety Reporting System. Mm. And this is a database in the, it's a, it's a U.S. thing. You can go to AS, as in Sam, R as in Robert, S, as in Sam, dot ARC, dot NASA, dot gov, or mm. you can just search for ASRS database. And um, it is where pilots anonymously report incidents um, that occur. And um, sometimes they are funny in a technical way. Excuse me, because you say to yourself, you're like, really? That's what they did? So it's where if if another pilot sees another, if one pilot sees another pilot doing something silly or something that they can report it without Basically, it's an anonymous reporting system. But but it is quite interesting. If you get a chance to go look at it, some of the stuff is just amazing. Because it's amazing in the sense that you go, this is a real, this is not a test (laughs) flight. This is a real commercial flight that was out there. And so I'm glad that these two incidents um, were not news. Yeah, exactly. Jesus. Um, So, uh, you know, I have to remember to juggle the stories so we get we end on a high note. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I guess the high note would be you can go to Aviation Safety Reporting System and look at all these things that could have happened but didn't happen. So that's a really high note. Um, I think that's all we have for you I guys. think it's positive that they found it, right? Yes. Before oh. it was too late. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, they were, they were paying attention. I mean, because, you yeah. know, it, I don't know, have you ever, you ever flown in a cockpit yeah. before in a commercial airliner? Once, yes, yeah. ages before uh, September
1: eleventh,
0: two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, you remember, do you remember Kiwi Airlines? Yes, uh, I did a i flew in a seven twenty seven um in Kiwi Airlines uh, way back before all this too. From uh, I was a North American carrier, right? Yeah, is, yeah. it is. They were based in Orlando, and they flew a seven twenty sevens between like I guess Florida and New York, and I flew one of them, and um. Those I I've done like at least three or four cockpit rides, but they're interesting because I mean you know the the pilot and the co-pilot, and back when you had the flight engineer, because there was a flight engineer on the seven twenty seven. Um, they are like focused on everything. Uh, there's no chit chat uh, at takeoff and landing because these are the two most busiest busiest parts of it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So when something like this happens. They really do depend on the systems to do what they're supposed to do, um, you know. So I'm glad yeah. that they, I'm glad that they figured out why that this was so. a, a thing to do. All right, that's all we have for this week. Yep, uh, this is a wrap for episode number. Did we say thirty two? Thirty two. Probably 32. way over our one hour time limit. Oh, we're way over. At least really, an hour, at least. Um but I think it was a good episode though. Well, I don't know. You And gonna- until people complain. Yeah, no one has complained yet. So if you guys think we're too long, please set us we for too long and we will try to it just means that you're gonna get more episodes. Because for example, like this could have been two episodes, right? So you would get two episodes instead of one episode. Um and remember, you know, if we're talking too much you can put us on pause and then continue later. <laughs> But thank you so much for listening to us this week. Uh, This has been What's Happening in Travel with my buddy. Kusro. And I am Kerwin, and we are signing off. Talk to you guys soon.